2: As we grow up, we begin to open our hearts and minds in a fun and fresh new way. Through dating, we not only get the opportunity to meet new people, but we also get to learn more about ourselves. Hello and welcome to Express Yourself. We're a program by, for, and with creative young people, a platform to give teens a voice right here on the Voice America Kids Network. I'm Hannah Hundle, and today the theme for our show is The Gift of Dating.
3: And I'm Asia Gonzalez, Express Yourself is produced by Star Style Productions and brought to you as an outreach service of the Be The Star You Are charity. Each week, we bring you a stimulating, mind-bending, motivating program based on a chapter from our award-winning book, Be The Star You Are for Teens. Simple gifts for living, loving, laughing, learning, and leading. With regard to this week's theme, The Gift of Dating, we are going to examine how dating can fill our days with fun and help people grow into better individuals, communicators, and companions. We have a riveting show for you today, so we're going to kick it off by turning to our reporter and longtime veteran of the show, Alex Palakos. Here's with another installment of the segment, Health Wrap. Take it away, Alex.
4: Hi, guys. uh, I'm Alex Palakos, and here's the Health Wrap. Uh, Tonight's radio show is devoted to the topic of dating. And there is no doubt that dating is a lot of fun. Dating should be relaxing and enjoyable and certainly not a source of stress. But what about going out on a first date with somebody new? You are bound to get a little nervous as you will probably be worrying about making that great first impression. It's normal to be a little nervous, but if you're too uptight, you might not be yourself. So is there anything we can learn from the field of health that might make that first date a little less stressful? Well, thanks to medical science, there are actually a number of different things you can do to improve your feeling of happiness, reduce stress, and just be overall more relaxed. So the first helpful thing you might want to do before a date is exercise. Exercise causes some biochemical changes in your body that actually help relieve stress and anxiety, increase confidence, and improve your mood. All of that seems to be really helpful before a date, especially on a first date. Exercise helps increase the production of certain neurotransmitters, which are chemicals that help the brain communicate with the body. These neurotransmitters, like endorphins and serotonin, help create a happy feeling that is induced by the exercise. Luckily for us, physical activity can help increase the amount of our brain's endorphins. These endorphins relax you and put you in a good mood. The more intense your exercise, the better it is at increasing the amount of endorphins in your brain. Now, the next suggestion from health science might seem a little strange after just talking about exercise. But believe it or not, a good idea before a date is to eat a piece of dark chocolate. Research shows that eating dark chocolate regularly can reduce levels of a stress hormone known as cortisol. In addition, there is another benefit having a dark chocolate treat can immediately reduce anxiety by increasing the production of serotonin in the brain. Serotonin is another neurotransmitter in the brain and, like endorphins released during exercise, can relax you, reduce stress, and even make your mood better. Now, this next suggestion is really quite surprising. I'm sure we all worried about keeping our breath fresh when going out on a date. Well, do you know what's more effective than toothpaste or gum or even mints to keep your breath fresh? The answer is green tea that's right a cup of green tea about 30 minutes before your date can help keep your breath fresh for up to two hours so if you are about to go on a date with someone you have never dated before and you feel a little anxious how about doing some rigorous exercise a few hours before your date then when it's getting close to date time drink a cup of green tea with a piece of dark chocolate you will be relaxed stress-free and feeling fantastic about yourself, you will make a great first impression.
2: Wow. I love like that. Those are that. some really helpful hints. Yeah, especially when you mention physical activity, because not only does it help to release what we call the feel-good chemicals endorphins, but I found that really anytime I exercise, I get kind of like a glowy nature about my skin and I don't know I just feel like I'm glowing a little bit more like glowing from the inside out and I think that helps a lot too but how much exercise do you think someone really has to do to get the full benefits of physical activity?
4: Well that's a really good question. Uh, The evidence suggests that the more rigorous your exercise is the more beneficial the effects are but even if you are a little out of shape doing some exercise will definitely help. Actually, it has been shown that you can relieve anxiety for several hours with just a brief 10-minute walk.
3: Oh, wow. I wish I knew these things on my first date. I mean, I remember, I mean, it wasn't terrible, but I mean, I guess these tips could have helped make it better. And especially the food part, um, you know, drinking green tea, I never knew that you could freshen your breath with green tea. I always felt like if you drink something like that, that you would get that aftertaste or that... Uh, weird smell or whatever and the dark chocolate I never really knew that that could help you know chocolate in my mind is just bad for you anyway so I never knew that dark chocolate was actually good in um you know relieving your stress levels and uh releasing those endorphins and serotonin but are there other foods that help relieve stress or reduce anxiety or to improve someone's mood
4: oh yeah there's a number of different choices especially if you don't like dark chocolate for example, turkey is rich in L tryptophan, an amino acid that triggers the release of serotonin, resulting in a relaxing effect.
3: Hmm. Interesting. Is there are there any other ones like uh something that's a little bit more healthy? Um like instead of turkey, is there like a vegetable or is there like a type of yogurt or anything like that?
4: Um I'm sure there's there were just a ton of different ones that uh I was looking up on the internet, but off the top of my head, those are the only two I recall. Mm, interesting.
2: Oh yeah, that's very cool. That's very cool. And um, what do you do you tend to follow these types of tips on a regular basis or are these just things that people should do before a big event
4: or something? Oh, I think these are tips you can definitely use pretty much any day of the week. It's, uh, you know, exercise, there's so many benefits to that, that, you know, everyone should just be exercising. And if you want a piece of dark chocolate and if it's going to make you feel good, I think that's a great solution.
2: Yeah. Yeah, do you think there's a difference, a perceived difference between exercising indoors versus outdoors? Because I know for me, I tend to prefer you know, a jog around the block or riding my bike or something like that. I just feel like being in the fresh air while you're working out adds to the whole experience. Do you agree?
4: Yeah, I actually definitely agree with that. And, uh, you know, one, it might be psychological, but two, Mm. we do spend a lot of time indoors and you get vitamin D from the sun. Right. So it would make sense that, uh, you know, going outside and getting some sun and vitamin D would really help you out.
3: Definitely. Definitely. I like these uh these kind of tips, you know, a lot of people um really stress out about that first date and I think the biggest um tip is to just, you know, take in the fact that, you know, if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. You know, if they if they like you for who you are, then then you're okay, you know. Always be yourself around that person. It's kind of hard to really accept that fact, I think, because you know society now is always telling us what we can do to make ourselves better or make ourselves different to make somebody else like us or something like that. But I think that now with all these health tips, you know, it'll help us um, naturally be our better selves, but also um, helping us be more um, confident about ourselves, especially when you exercise and you release those um, endorphins and stuff, you know, you're able to feel that confidence about yourself. So then, you know, I think it's the best tip uh, overall for dating is to just be relaxed about who you are and be happy with who you are. And that way that other person will feel the same way about you because you have to love yourself first before anybody else can. So,
2: Right, right. And, you know, being healthy, it doesn't really change who you are. It just improves who you are. Yeah. You're, you're, you're still mm-hmm. you, just a better version of you. A healthier That's something percent. that any artificial, superficial type of change can't really achieve. Exactly.
4: Yes, I I definitely agree with that.
2: And
3: I think, you know, we need a little bit more of the health view from this instead of the, uh, I guess you would say, physical uh, or outward appearance kind of view. You know, there are a lot of things that you can do to improve your appearance if you don't like it or anything like that. You know, everybody can has a say in what they want to do with their body. But really, I believe that we need to focus on the healthy uh, aspect of changing ourselves instead of changing our personality or, you know, our physical appearance or anything like that, making somebody, uh, making ourselves different or doing something to our body um, that just changes us. So I really think that we need to focus on the internal health
2: Right, right. And, you know, you can't really get a good detection of health from the physicality. I mean, just knowing the numbers on the scale when you weigh yourself don't really indicate much about health. Um, And it's really individualized per person um, because you have to look at percent fat content, um, percent muscle mass. So Mm -hmm. it's really all about improving yourself, making yourself feel better and feel healthier and not really worrying about the way that it looks or the number that might appear on the scale. Exactly.
3: Alex, have you ever done any special things to feel healthier or more relaxed before going out on a date? Do you have any special tips that you do yourself brothers?
4: Um, Well, uh, one other tip that I know about was meditation. Mm. Oh. Yeah, so um, it's really easy. It's simple and effective. And basically, if you spend just 30 minutes in meditation – and clear your mind, you can actually reduce anxiety and become calmer, you can relieve your tension, and you'll improve your mood. So I think that's, uh, you know, that's just another method that you can kind of improve on yourself and get in the zone, so to speak, and mm-hmm. reduce anxiety before a date.
3: Exactly, exactly. I think meditation is pretty useful. I've never actually tried it myself, but from, from what I've heard, it's, it's actually very effective.
2: Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been doing yoga from about seventh grade onward. And of course, meditation is an essential part of yoga. And, and just, you know, spending those couple moments each day to focus on your breathing, to get away from the chaos, and to have a minute or two to yourself really does help center you. And so I really agree with that point, Alex, and I love all the other points that you mentioned. Thank you for enlightening us with ways that we can let go of that tension and make room for joy. It's important information to keep in mind for many different situations, I think. Uh, During the break, everyone, be sure to check out our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com for photos, descriptions, links, and more. I'm Anna Hundle.
3: And I'm Asia Gonzalez, also please visit our charity site at btsya.org and watch our fun and informative videos at youtube.com slash Be The Star You Are. Stay right here with us as we continue our conversation on dating.
0: Dinosaur Detectives can be heard every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Kids channel.
2: You are listening to Express Yourself on the Voice America Kids Network, brought to you by Be The Star You Are Charity. I'm Hannah Hundle, and today our show is all about the gift of dating. Today's show just keeps getting better. That's because
3: we have another veteran of the program, college student Courtney Chang, here to educate us about dating with her riveting segment, Book It! Welcome back, Courtney. How, you, how have you been?
5: Hey, guys. I'm great. So I'm Courtney Chung and I'm finally back again with another segment of Book It!, where I talk about anything and everything related to relevant and recent books, movies, and music. For this th- week's theme of The Gift of Dating, I thought I would spend some time talking about a couple movies I watched recently. The F Word, or more commonly known as What If?, a 2013 rom-com featuring Daniel Radcliffe and Zoe Kazan, as well as the recently released online film Everything Before Us by the Asian American YouTube group Wong Fu Productions. Both films, of course, explore the ups and downs of dating, and really do a wonderful job of portraying relationships between teenagers, young adults, and adults in realistic manners. In What If, Wallace has torn himself off a of social life until his best friend Alan intervenes and coerces Wallace into attending his party. While there, Wallace meets Alan's cousin, Chantry, and the connection between the two, their banter and everything, is immediately obvious. Unfortunately for Wallace, however, Chantry is already in a relationship. Despite this fact, Wallace remains Chantry's friend while harboring some hope that he may be able to get together with her in the future. The film explores the subtle nuances between the defining features of a friendship and a romantic relationship and offers, for a romantic comedy, a realistic perspective on how relationships in your 20s can play out in regards to moving for jobs, finding a job, making friends, and keeping friends. Everything Before Us explores dating from a different lens. The film is set in the future where every person's quote-unquote emotional integrity is scored and monitored by the DEI, the Department of Emotional Integrity. At 18, every person receives a score. Being in DEI-approved official relationships can increase your score, and breaking up, or otherwise known as terminating a relationship, can lower your score depending on how much of the blame you've received. Everyone, from schools to job interviewers and even bars and clubs, uses the score as a part of their standards for entrance. A a low score can be held against you. The film focuses on two different relationships, 18-year-olders Seth and Haley and 30-year-olders Ben and Sarah, and does a fantastic job in depicting how time, age, and maturity can affect the course of a relationship in vastly different ways. At the same time, however, we can also see that relationships, at their heart, can be incredibly similar in others. As in typical Wong Fu production standards, this piece of work presents great insight into interpersonal relationships and invites viewers to explore a profound question. In this case, the question goes something like this. It's inevitable for people to get hurt in relationships, but should we really be kept from making mistakes in our relationships, or should we simply try to make the most of these screw-ups by learning as much as we can from them? Oftentimes, movies can... create unrealistic expectations of dating, whether it's from the level of romance, sex, or variety of other features portrayed on screen. In my opinion, both what if and everything before us present a very good balance of the realistic aspects that really may come up and do occur in real relationships for viewers of many ages.
2: Hmm. Wow. That's so great. You know, I love how you bring up this idea that it's really important for our media and films and literature to portray relationships realistically and not have this sort of melodramatic Romeo and Juliet plot going on in every single movie. Because particularly kids who are trying to navigate this dating jungle, it's just sending mixed messages. And I think for a lot of us, as we grow up, films and books that we really enjoy, they really serve as blueprints for us to use as we navigate this jungle, as I said. And so having these really clear, straightforward, realistic approaches to our media, I think does help teenagers make wiser decisions.
5: Definitely. I would definitely agree with all of that.
2: And so you think that in everything before us, even though it had this kind of DEI complex, you think it still really maintained its realisticness?
5: I definitely think so, because even though there was like the DEI involved in all of the aspects of the relationship it kind of like its presence in the movie actually helped bring forward you know like all like the nitty-gritty unromantic parts of a relationship like when you're with a person for a really long time like problems are going to crop up because there are always going to be conflicts and differences between people but you never see that being portrayed in a typical like romantic comedy but Mm. in everything before us the DEI was kind of there to be like So you two have this problem, and the the guy wanted to do this, and the girl wanted to do this, but somehow it ended in termination. So like, like where does the blame actually go, and who who actually stopped trying to make things work?
3: I think that's not really portrayed in a lot of it because, you know, at first the little crush that you had on whoever it was, and then you guys um, developed into a relationship. You have the butterflies, and you have the the sunshine and rainbows for a little while. And then you realize, you know, once you get into that longer relationship and deeper relationship, you start to see things that are like, oh, well, I never noticed that before. And some of it may bother you. Um, But then you start to realize what you need to do to work everything out.
2: Yeah. So do you prefer one of the films over the other?
5: Um, I think like... Personally, I preferred What If, though not necessarily for how it portrayed relationships. It was more because the ending of Everything Before Us felt a little bit ambiguous and unfinished, which left me feeling a bit unsatisfied with what we were left with at the end of the film.
2: Ah, okay. But both really did the job of sending the right messages about relationships. Definitely. Cool, cool.
3: So so some movies or some shows depict relationships between two people and some of them may seem realistic and some may seem relevant and you know others may not seem like that so what do you think which one was more relevant to you than the other
0: um
5: again I think I'll have to go with what if it's probably because everything before us as Hannah mentioned before it's set in like a completely different and slightly bizarre world that you know none of us can really relate to it quite as much so the relationships in the film feature certain like tendencies. I don't want to spoil it for anyone who might be interested in watching <laughs> that I don't really have. So there's, there was a bit of a disconnect there for me personally, but I can really see how it would kind of affect and work for other people.
2: Right, right. And, you know, when we're talking about dating, too, particularly its portrayal in films, um, I think there's certain levels, right? There's certain degrees. Um, about how intensely we want to portray these things. And, you know, of course, for teenagers who are just getting involved in this stuff versus adults, uh, different films are perhaps going to be suited better to different demographics. So, would you say that one of the films is more appropriate for youth or teenagers than the other? Or can anyone really watch both of the films and glean those valuable lessons?
5: Um, everything before us, even though it does have an older couple in it, would definitely be more fit for younger viewers. What if? It definitely has a lot of sexual and and adult humor, so I wouldn't necessarily say it's greatest for like high school age viewers. And in terms of the dating and relationship themes, what if explores, it's definitely more relevant to the college, like college graduate age viewers.
2: Ah, okay, okay, very cool. And um, would you say that there's any books that we've been talking about films? Are there any books that you recommend about romance? You know, we hear all, all the time about the Twilight series and that type of thing. But sometimes I think those books that aren't really publicized as much, aren't made into the huge films and, you know, have, don't have this whole market around them. Some of those little gems that just a few people know about end up being really the greatest books ever. So is there like a romance book that you read recently that you'd recommend?
5: Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. I think it's really it's really hard to, like, bring titles to mind right now because, obviously, once you say romance novels, then you suddenly start thinking, like, Romeo and Juliet, that sort of thing. Yeah. But, like, in, like, generally any book, there's always going to be, like, a relationship somewhere. But I just – I can't think of, like, good ones. I imagine for, like, the more popular titles um, – I don't know. I always felt like John Green had a very good handle on how people were with their subtleties yeah. and like sort of like strange like personal tics and stuff. But one book that I read a really long time ago and it's like not very well known, it's called Elsewhere by Gabrielle Zevin. Mm-hmm. And that one it's unique because actually everyone grows younger. I don't want to spoil it oh. at all, but like it's it's really really interesting because you always keep the mentality of, like, the age you start at as you go backwards. And so it's, it, I feel like that one does a really good job in portraying how people can keep up, like, really good, healthy relationships.
2: That's interesting. It yeah. reminds me of that Benjamin Button movie starring Brad Pitt when he mm, aged yeah. younger. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's so great. And I know John Green, I think, is really, really popular for his romance novels. And I think, I think what separates him from other sort of, traditional popular romance writers is that he does indeed look at the intricacies of the relationships and they're a little bit more complex they're not as quite cookie cutter and you know the romeo juliet boy meets girl type of typical plot line and a lot of our viewers may have seen the fault on our stars both the movie and have read the book and that was really really popular and i actually have not read the book but i did watch the movie and I think it was a great portrayal of the, both the triumphs and the struggles behind relationships.
5: No, yeah, totally. I remember, um, I think my one thing against like the depiction of relationships in John Green's works is that occasionally you'll have, like for, for me, since I'm interested in guys, sometimes you'll get a guy that's just a little bit too perfect. Like There are moments of that in The Fault in Our Stars. But one thing I really appreciate the movie for is like, I made it through the entire movie, like doing okay, wasn't crying. And then I sat down, I finished the movie and I sat for about 10 minutes just kind of like feeling very like thoughtful. And then I like broke down crying because suddenly the thought of like losing someone that close hit me. And I just couldn't handle it about 10 minutes after the movie ended.
2: Oh, yeah, I know, right? (laughs) I mean, He really, really does have that way of getting to you. And I think what's incredible about John Green is that I didn't even know this, but apparently he's not just an author, he's also a historian. And he has a huge archive of really great history videos on YouTube. I believe they're called Crash Course. And uh, back in May, when I was preparing for the AP World History Examination, my history teacher actually recommended (laughs) that I go and search videos for Crash Course. And when I did and I watched them, the guy narrating them said he was John Green. And I was like, wait, 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 no, this cannot be the same John Green. I mean, going from being such a terrific romance writer to uh, teaching children history, Mm -hmm. I mean, he's really all over the spectrum and he's so great. So I think anyone really liking him as an author, go check out those videos too. He does a lot. Definitely. Definitely. For sure. So thank you very, very much, Courtney, for sharing all of this insight. I think it's incredible what the world of film and literature can teach us, particularly about dating and particularly when they're realistic and relevant to teenagers. During the break, everyone be sure to check out our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com. I'm Hannah Hundle.
3: And I'm Asia Gonzalez. Also remember to visit our charity site at btsya.org for information on upcoming events, activities, and more. We'll be back in the next segment as we continue our conversation on date.
0: Have you heard your 15 minutes of fame? How about four times that every single week?
2: Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. Our program is Express Yourself, giving youth across the world a voice to be listened to. I'm Hannah Hundle, and today's hot topic is the gift of dating.
3: And I'm Asia Gonzalez. This topic has so many layers, and each person's experiences are very unique. You know, some may have a good experience with dating, and some may have... Um, bad experiences with dating. And, you know, I've heard both sides of the story. And it's sad to hear when somebody was in a relationship for a very long time and they were happy and then something just went wrong and it just crashed the entire relationship. So a lot there are a lot of things to consider when you're dating. And um, being in a relationship myself, there are lots of things that you need to pay attention to. And every day is a day where you need to build up your relationship and keep working on it. It sounds like a stressful thing to do, but really every day you need to be working on building each other up, building their relationship up. You can't let it just sit there and stay stagnant because that's when things start to build up and create some bad business. So there are actually a lot of questions to ask when you're getting into a relationship or while you're in a relationship or even when you're just friends with someone, and it, and you're considering being in a relationship with that person. So, you know, one thing to really ask yourself is: Do you guys connect with each other? Do you guys have a friendship right now? Are you guys getting along well? Do you, um, do you guys, you know, know what your values are, what your interests and disinterests are, and a lot of people are always saying, you know, be friends first. And that's very important to be friends with that person first. So you can get to know that person, understand, you know, am I interested in this person? Will I allow them to be in my life that um, intricately? So it's, that's just one major uh, detail to consider is do you guys connect? Are you guys able to be compatible with each other in a relationship?
2: Yeah, yeah, you know, that's so true. And I want to back up to when you mentioned how it's sad that sometimes relationships, after you know being steady for so long, sometimes go awry, and it kind of reminds me of gifts. And throughout these past couple of weeks, and really months, um, the topic, the theme for each radio show has been the gift of something.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
2: think with this week, even with the gift of dating, there's a sub-gift beneath that, and that is the gift of things going wrong. And that may sound a little strange, but I really believe that there is a gift inherent in something going wrong. So, for example, if you're in a relationship and you find out later on down the road that things just aren't working out, that's almost in a way a gift because it's saving you from artificially prolonging this alliance that just isn't meant to be, is not meant to continue, and really the faster it ends, maybe it's the better because then both of you can go on your separate ways and find people that are more suited to yourself. So I think even if something is going great in a relationship, that's wonderful, of course. But even if things start to go a little awry, if you can take that as a sign, take it as a lesson, and really see it as a gift for an opportunity to meet someone that's more suited to your interests, to your tastes, and with whom you might be a little bit happier, I think that's also something to consider as well. Um, And these questions that you're bringing up, Asia, that we have to ask ourselves before we get involved with anyone is so critical because... Trust, connection, and communication are really the groundwork for companionship. They're the foundation, and there can be no companionship without communication and connection. And I think these questions are ones for which the answers don't come immediately. It takes a lot of trekking down that road with that person to really understand if they're a right fit for you. But I think what's great about being young and being sort of new to this game is that we have time to experiment and really try to find out what we're looking for. And in the meantime, kind of find out more about ourselves and what's really important to us in a relationship.
3: Exactly. I mean, there's so many things to, you know, consider. You know, a lot of it is, um, can you trust that person? That's a very big deal. Trust and honesty. Are you able to trust that person with some, with just secrets that you share with them? Are you able to trust somebody with your feelings, you know, your heart? Are you able... You know, a lot of people have had uh, past experiences where they've been hurt in a relationship. And, you know, that's okay. You know, not everything is supposed to be perfect, especially when you're dating. Not everything is all sunshine and rainbows. You know, I've had that experience myself. You know, not everything is going to be great. You're going to have some fights. You're going to have some arguments. And you're going to have some times where you're just not going to want to see that person for that moment. And, you know, that's okay. Because then that makes you realize how how important that person is to you. Because you realize, you know, this little thing isn't going to make us break off the entire relationship because I care more deeply about that person than that little issue. Mm -hmm. And if you're able to really consider what the issue is and understand what's going on between you two and you're willing to work it out between the two of you, two people are willing to solve something, then that's good. But if one of you is only willing to solve the problem and the other person really does not want to have anything to do with it, that's when there's a problem. And, you know, another thing to really determine is can you guys deal with time and distance from each other? You know, getting older and getting a relationship is kind of hard because you now have a job, you have responsibilities, and it depends, you know, if you're in college or not. Um, with, the people, with the audience listening to this radio show, uh, a lot of it are the younger audience. Um, with people in college, you know, there's a point of, this point of your relationship is hard, you know, determining where you're going in life, what's, uh, her career or college choice, or what's his career and college choice. Will you guys go separate ways because these are choices that are just not compatible with your lifestyle? Or are you going to find a way to solve it all without compromising your paths towards success? You know, are you guys understanding like, hey, we both have a job. We're probably not going to see each other very often as we used to. Or, you know, now we're getting into college. We're going to have jobs and college classes to deal with, along with family and relationships um, and the relationships that you have between the two of you. How are you going to deal with that? Are you guys going to accept the fact that you're not going to be spending 24-7 together? And, you know, at first, meeting in a really new relationship, you know, we're both like, oh, we want to spend every single minute with each other. And, and you know, that's the first stage of that relationship, which everybody gets. But then you kinda of have to start to realize, you know, I have a life and so does he. He has family and so do I. And um, you know, we both have responsibilities that we need to deal with. We're not the only things that are in each other in each other's lives. And that's that's one thing that you really need to understand when you're in a relationship. And it's not just a dating relationship, it's
2: also when with a friendship or a relationship with a family member. So Right, right. You know, I think the foundation of any relationship is trying to understand that can we keep this connection, this blessed connection alive when different interests and different activities and different commitments are trying to pull us in separate directions? And so it's sort of a trade-off to keep it together when other things may be trying to pull you apart and pull you on different paths. And I think that, you know, all these questions are things that take a lot of time to answer. And I think one thing that also takes time to answer is, Figuring out the true colors and the true character of that individual. Letting their true colors shine. Because, you know, I think in the beginning, everything is roses and rainbows. And it's all beautiful and wonderful and great. And I think, you know, even for a week, uh, for a month even, it's kind of easy to sort of adjust your character to fit what you think the other person may like. But it really does take a lot of time for your true character to shine through and for the other person's true character to shine through. And I think that's something you have to be cognizant and vigilant about because like I said, it's very easy on that first date to be charming, but you know, three months down the road, that could be a completely different person than you sat down for dinner with that one night. And I think, and I think one way to really get a better look at those true colors is to examine how that individual treats other people. And I don't remember where I read this, but it was really great. And it said that if you ever go to dinner with a guy at a restaurant, pay very close attention how he treats the waiter. Because Mm -hmm. that will say a lot about the type of person that he is. He can be very, very nice to you, but pay attention to how he treats the waiter because that will say something about his character. Exactly. You know, If he's not nice to other people around him, but he's nice to
3: you, obviously there's something going on with him being able to show who he really is. You know, uh, or it could even go for the girl. Guys, if your girl or girlfriend is not very nice towards other people, that can kind of show who she is. Or guy, uh, girls, if your guy isn't really nice to other people, that shows what kind of person he is and what kind of character he has. And you have to understand that if you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend You're going to want them to kind of socialize with your other friends. And if they're not nice to other people, how you know they're going to be nice to them or, you know, have that kind characteristic towards you later on in the relationship. Because people can really put on a mask the first um, uh, little while during that relationship. But after a while, that mask
2: sort of fades away and you see that real person that you've been dating. You know, when you said that you want to make sure that your significant other will be friends with your friends and family, I don't know why, it just reminded me of that Spice Girls uh, song, Wannabe. If you want to be my lover, God get with my friends, make it last forever, (laughs) friendship never ends. I wish I could sing I Can't for the Life of Me, but that's what came into my mind. And I know it's really cheesy, but I think it's definitely true.
3: It's very true. And another big thing, I think um, it's hard to, to really put in perspective which ones are the most important because all of them I think are actually well-rounded in determining which, uh, you know, what person would be good to make relationship with. So one good thing to understand is making an effort to understand each other's strengths and weaknesses and values and morals. And if you guys don't share those, exactly, you know, what are you willing to do? Are you willing to compromise some of your strengths and weaknesses or compromise some of your morals and values and beliefs into working things out? Or are you going to realize that you guys are just too different to where you're just going to break it off and, you know, maybe just remain friends or acquaintances because sometimes sharing a life with somebody that you don't exactly believe the same things in, it's very difficult, you know, maintaining a friendship or maintaining a relationship where you guys have very different belief systems or very different morals or values or beliefs, it's very hard to maintain something like that because you guys can get into debates that can get heated or you guys just may not agree on something and that just changes your view on that person. It's very difficult to do that. So it's something to really consider is, are you guys going to work out those differences or are you going to split it off and find somebody who's compatible with that difference?
2: Right, right. You know, that's real talk, definitely. And, you know, how Courtney was mentioning in the last segment that it's so important for film and media to portray relationships realistically, I also think that as we trek this journey and we engage in relationships, we want to really keep things real. And what I mean by that is that you have to kind of strive to allow yourself to not feel like you have to look perfect of every moment, of every second that you're with that special person. Because when you kind of build up this aura, build up this facade around yourself that you have no physical flaws whatsoever and your personality is just perfect and you're never a Debbie Downer and there's nothing wrong and everything is rainbows and roses, I think it's just a matter of time before that facade, before some cracks start getting into those walls and that facade is broken down. And so I think being upfront with, with, with imperfections, with flaws that you have, just embracing them and accepting them and moving on, rather than trying to make yourself seem absolutely perfect, is better if it's done earlier on. Mm-hmm. If your person or guy or girlfriend can accept
3: you and sweat, uh, no makeup, nothing on whatsoever, then I think you, you're you out to a good start. But then also definitely consider everything else.
2: Right, right. And, you know, I think what's really great is that there's a lot of YouTube beauty gurus now, I've noticed, who are posting videos on inner beauty and embracing your imperfections and giving you tips for, you know, how to look beautiful and radiant and bright and brilliant without having to layer on the makeup or seem so made up in a way. just really how to be natural. I think it's called, like, the no-makeup-makeup look and just all about letting your natural beauty shine. And I think that's really important, you know, particularly when you're getting involved in relationships because I think how Alex mentioned in the first segment that it's all about being yourself whatever you can do to just be you. And so I think you want to keep that in mind probably from the first date onwards. Mm -hmm, Definitely. And so I think these are all really, really great tips. I mean, I think we've really nailed this topic really well, Asia. Definitely. And I hope that, you know, we've helped really anyone out there, whether you're just starting the dating journey or whether you're well into the game. um, I hope you've gleaned some insight to kind of help you help it make it easier for you because i know it's harder for it's hard for each and every one of us but hopefully you know with more experience and with all these great tips it becomes an easier journey so thank you very much asia for these wise wise words um there's so many gems here and and there's so much to discuss with regard to this topic it is multifaceted during the break everyone be sure to check out our radio site at expressyourselfteenradio.com i'm Hannah hundle And I'm Asia
3: Gonzalez. Also during the break, be sure to check out our charity site at btsya.org, which stands for the Be The Star You Are 501c3 Literacy and Positive Media Charity. Stay right here with us as we continue our conversation on dating.
2: Welcome back. Thank you for staying with us here at Voice America Kids. I'm Hannah Hundle, and our program is Express Yourself. Today, the theme for our show is the gift of dating.
3: And I'm Asia Gonzalez. We're going to get a slightly different perspective on the topic now from our reporter, Brigitte Gia. Brigitte is a high school student who loves comics, particularly Japanese manga, and she's back with another installment of her segment, Art Attack. Hi, Brigitte. Hey guys, it's Brigitte, and this week's segment of Art Attack
6: is all about dating, specifically pieces created in the spirit of romance and passion. Today I've created a list of my top five favorite romance-centered works, and the stories behind them, to share with you. Let's dive in. Alright, first on the list is Birth of Venus. Botticelli's painting circa 1480s Italian Renaissance, might not be a display of the connection between two specific individuals, but it depicts the genesis of the Greco-Roman mythological representation of love itself. So I'd really say that it's pretty important to the development of love as a visual subject and something to be portrayed in works of art. Um, The painting itself utilizes smooth, blended colors and soft lines, kind of reminiscent of um, Italian Renaissance, to emphasize the beauty of the love goddess's beginnings. All right. The painting itself depicts Venus's appearance as the goddess of love and beauty, and she's depicted emerging from the waves of a sparkling ocean. She's kind of placed atop a seashell. Um, There are two wind deities kind of blowing her towards the island of Cyprus, which will become her kind of designated birth island, and on the island itself is a nymph trying to prepare to drape a cloth around her. Um, Venus really gives off an air of finesse, and her fine appearance heightens the sense of what she represents, which is love. Uh, The piece itself gives off a graceful, enlightening air, and it really shows Botticelli's vision of the definition of romance. So he kind of depicted romance as a type of light, soft thing by depicting the painting of the birth of Venus in itself so he was able to show the world kind of what he thought of art which I think is really important even though it's not really a depiction of any uh romantic relationship all right second on the list is Ida uh Ida's not a sculpture and it's not a painting Ida is art of the musical type and it's an opera composed by Italian Giuseppe Verdi um it's, it's pretty well known. I think there have been a lot of modern orchestras who've performed in the pit with modern casts, uh, London Philharmonic, some of the more famous orchestras have definitely done uh, work with this opera. Within the emotion-heavy visionary and auditory framework is really a libretto mourning a love that just can't be. Um, the plot is set in the palaces of ancient Egypt. Ida, captured Ethiopian princess and Egyptian slave, is in love with Egyptian general Radam's as Ida's father, Ethiopian king, Amanasro, marches towards the Egyptian capital with the intention of capturing it, Radams is chosen by the gods to lead the country's army against that of Ethiopia. Meanwhile, the Egyptian princess over here, Amneris, discovering the fair between Radams and Ida, kinda, and she also nurses her own love for Radams on the side. Uh, she lets her jealousy get the better of her and she denounces the two of them to her father, the Egyptian pharaoh. Um, they're both condemned. And Radams is sentenced to death by being sealed into a living grave, while Ida is presumed to have fled the country, um, as right after her denunciation, denouncing. Um, but, and so Amneris as Radames is waiting for his death sentence, comes to Radames and says, hey, look, uh, Ida's fled the country. <laughs> I love you. Will you love me, and I will pardon you and have you restored back to being an Egyptian general, and you won't have to die or anything, but you're going to have to love me and give Ida up. And she's already fled the country. It's fine, right? Um, but Radames denies this, and no, he he refuses this offer because... He really loves Ida, and he believes in their bond, and he's decided to stay true to the last. And he's right. As he's led into his tomb, Ida appears by his side, and she hasn't deserted him. And she remains within the tomb, devoted to Radam's To The Last. So this opera is really sorrowful. It's really tragic, and it brings tears to your eyes. But I think it really displays the devotion that two people should have with each other when engaged in a romantic relationship. So the two of them are really just so strongly devoted to each other that even in death, they're together. So it's really beautiful. And I think it displays that since love has ups and downs, you need to be able to stick with the person that you're in love with, that you have a romantic bond with um, through every like hardship, you know? You gotta stick by them, and that's what romance really means, you know? You stick by the person that you're in love with. Alright, moving on. Uh, The third one on the list is The Red Armchair. This is by Pablo Picasso in the peak of his kind of cubism stage. So, Picasso created strong bonds with several different women in his life. Each one of these women kind of began a different period of variation in his painting style, and his works depict his models in his relationship differently according to his kind of perception of them and the relationship that they're in in that period of his lifetime. Um, This painting displays Marie Therese, who was Picasso's mistress for eight years, and in that time she kind of modeled for a series of his abstract paintings, and really she was always depicted in a bright, cheerful light. She must have really been a sort of ray of sunshine for the painter because he uses like vivid colors to just portray her form in every single one of his paintings of her. The red armchair shows really the brightness that she brought into his life. And it's, it's really just beautiful. He displays her in such vivid colors. Um, Picasso really throws his adoration into the painting. He's captured her elegant demeanor and her tenderness in the work and, and as well as her personality and what she kind of means to him. The red armchair as a painting really helps the audience view a subject through the eyes of a lover. You really get a glimpse into their relationship and how intimate they were and what she meant to him through the eyes of Picasso himself by looking at this painting. All right. Uh, Fourth on the list is The Kiss by Gustav Klimt. Uh, The painter depicts two lovers in a tender embrace. Um... Really, this painting is kind of more somber than the others. It's got duskier colors with like earth tones. Uh, it really holds elements of abstraction as well in its coloring and composition, and it's really quite symbol symbolic in its kind of cobbled together way. Um, the painting itself, again, is very it's filled with tans and browns. Um, lots of there's also some golds as well. He actually, interestingly enough, uses gold leaf in his painting. Uh, with the oils that he's working with so really he's kind of employing this giddy sparkling emotion one feels when in love with like the kind of gold specks that he uses as well as the kind of smaller things in love so the paintings and the opera that we've looked at beforehand in this segment are kind of using bright and vivid emotions and just really passionate you know um depictions of what love is. But I really think that this painting in itself is kind of more somber. It's kind of the little things that you love about one another. Um, If you're in a romantic relationship, maybe one person brings you tea or coffee in the morning and the other makes breakfast. You know, it's the smaller things. Um, There's also kind of a form of opposition going on because the man in the figure in the painting is wearing a kind of rectangular square pattern on his garments while the woman's just wearing like round, soft flowers patterned on her garments. So there's also a kind of opposition type thing, which is really nice. All right. Um, the last painting in this little mini series that I've <laughs> created is, uh, dance at Bogival, I think it's pronounced. And this is painted by the impressionist Renoir. Um, he shows us a glimpse of a fleeting moment between a dancing couple. Um, the couple in the picture is rumored to be his friends, two of his mutual friends, and he's trying to portray them in their moment of relationship, in their moment of romance, and the audience is kind of surrounded by soft, vibrant colors in the fame impasto painting style, which is kind of a blurry, you know, hazy type of style um, that the painter uses with his brush to create a kind of hazy, entire like outlook on the painting. Um, all right. Uh, we are kind of, as the audience, brought into the company of a rosy-cheeked young woman decked out in pink and a man in contrasting navy blue with a wide-brimmed hat. Um, the painting is really a snapshot. It's kind of captured, again, in a hazy light. Um, the two are dancing. So, with the impasto style, you can kind of see them twirling and you kind of get the feeling of just a moving moment, very fluid, the painting style is, and you kind of, you twirl with the couple as they dance, and it's just a beautiful snapshot, a beautiful glimpse of the romance that these two must have had. Wow. <laughs> that is why I love art. <laughs> Definitely. You portray so much. It does. It's very beautiful.
3: With all these paintings that you just, you've just you just explained, why is romance mm-hmm. such a popular subject to portray in art, out of everything um,
6: I really think love is kind of an emotion that seeks expression. You know, you want to tell the world that you love somebody. And personally, I think that romance affects everyone profoundly, whether they see it or experience it themselves or come into contact with it another way. Um, The need to display feelings of love and romance can be kind of carried out in a work of art. Of course, art can be used to express everything. And I feel that since love is such a strong emotion that needs outpouring, um, art is a really nice way of expressing art. And that's why so many people use it to put their love out into the
2: world. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's kind of a neat vesicle to pour your love into, pour that emotion into. And what I think is really interesting is that all these pieces Mm -hmm. of art interpret love in so many different ways whether through motion, as you mentioned, or through color. Mm -hmm. Why do you think different pieces interpret it in such different ways?
6: Um, I think due to an artist's intention to present a certain perspective to a scene in a work, uh, there are many different interpretations shown through different pieces. So like a creator such as Renoir, for example, uh, watching mutual friends share a moment, might have seeked to capture it as it was, kind of like dancing, beautiful little glimpse into the romance of another. Again, Picasso, on the other hand, sought to show the world how he himself saw his beloved, and he tried to have the world, the audience, view his painting through his own goggles, through his own point of view. And Botticelli, again, worked with not a singular passion, but kind of depicted love as a whole in his own point of view. So he depicted what love mm-hmm. in itself, yeah, meant to him and what he saw it as. Uh, Klimt displayed the dustier, more grounded love of, like, smaller proportions. And Verity really laid out a passionate tragedy that was filled with devotion to the last. So they each tried to put on, um, put different viewpoints different viewpoint goggles kind of on the audience to show the audience how they saw love in itself so love can mm-hmm. really be many things and all these all these other artists try to portray it as well as they saw and knew how I love
3: that Bridget you're so talented and a thank you area of art I love it and thank you so much for having your insights. this very intriguing topic we love your enthusiasm <laughs> Roman- as conveyed through art is a timeless sight to behold uh, and always as always all good things must come to an end and this show gave us an in-depth look at how dating can bring some light and liveliness to our lives welcome that special person into your heart thanks to star style productions cynthia Bryan, be the star you are and our voice america kids crew especially our engineer matt thanks to our guests and reporters from across the world and thank
2: you our listeners for making us a top-rated program i'm asia gonzalez and I'm Hannah Hundle, and you have been listening to Express Yourself, an on-air global community where teams talk and the world listens. For info on our creative community, go to btsya.org. Until next week, remember, be kind, be ready for love, and be here. Speak up, speak out, and express yourself.
0: Thanks for joining us this week on Express Yourself. You would let yourself